Thank you to everyone who supports the show and all the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. Look, if you got a couple bucks kicking around in your pocket, that's just being like, spend me, spend me. Your favorite podcasters need your support right now, and I'm just sitting here doing nothing. If that's what your money is saying to you, first of all, it's totally okay if your money wants to talk to you. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't talk back. Don't talk back, exactly. Instead, get rid of that accursed money that's talking to you by going over and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We could certainly use some of uh, that money to help us grow and continue to pay all the fantastic people here at the major spoilers podcast network. And I'm just going to say thank you in advance. The major spoilers podcast covers news reviews, and of course spoilers and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Wade and Sammy sing this song, do-dar, do-dar, make Black Widow all day long for the MSP. Plus, we talk Aliens, Fast and Furious, Red Sonja, Fortnite, and oh, so very much more. If it's new and hot, it's a topic we got, and we're all cute as heck in an all-audio format. So let's have ourselves some fun while we talk the pop culture talk, because the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 933 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and uh, joining us this week. If you missed the pre-show, I talked about some damage to the Major Spoilers uh, HQ. I talked about uh, some uh, comic book art, and we talked a little bit, just briefly, about Ashley's trip to the Sequoia National Forest. A lot of fun. But you're going to want to stick around. I think we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up this week. Uh, We've got some news coming up in a moment, reviews, and then with the Black Widow movie, Coming out, we're going to go and take a look at the first volume of Black Widow Shields Most Wanted from Marvel Comics later in the show. But as I promised uh, and as I mentioned, here is some news. Speaking of the movies, movie theaters are opening for their first major weekend since 2019, which I think was last week. Uh, I think it's called Nine Fast, Nine Furious, the ninth installment. Oh, oh, sorry, F9. Uh, the ninth installment of the Fast and the Furious franchise has grossed $374 million since opening with expectations of surpassing $500 million, which is half a billion by the end of the week. In a rare confluence, Universal Pictures had all three of the top three films at the box office. They had uh, F9. They had Boss Baby Part 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking second place with $20 million and the forever purge, uh, which God, it seems like it took forever uh, opening with $15 million. Well, you know, Rodrigo, it is all about family and here at the major spoilers podcast. It's all about family. Yeah. I, I would have never, I, I mean, I saw the original, well, not the original because right. the fast and the Furious is a remake. First off, um, but the original Fast and the Furious, and never in a thousand years would I would I be like, ah, yes, there are nine. There's a nine movie franchise in this <laughs> in this film, um, and it just it really goes to show just that like how they've continued to sort of like it's like cars and family is the theme and like they just switch out stuff out from under it and like on top of it to, to like 20, sort of keep up with modern trends. Yeah. A 20 year franchise in modern parlance is unheard of. You know, that's, that's MCU. ridiculous. That's, <laughs> that's a, but that's the thing, you know, yeah. the MCU is not technically the same thing. Well, I mean, you have how many Jurassic, thing. how many Jurassic park movies have there been? Five. Wow. Just only five. For some reason, I think it was more than that, but you have MCU. That's like 20 movies. You have fast and the furious has got nine movies. I mean, for a show that centers around testosterone and uh, nitrous oxide. Um, I, you're right. That is a pretty big deal. Ashley, you ever watched this F nine or the uh, fast and the furious series? No, I was an actual child when it started. And then I, uh, (laughs) was not a man. So I will say just for me personally, uh, it holds, it holds little, um, appeal outside of, um, the meme content. I'm very here for the meme game right now. Yeah. For the family, family memes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The last one that I watched was Tokyo drift. And I really, really liked that one. And I was like, I don't think I need to watch any more of these. 
you know, the Fast and the Furious. Okay, so you know how there's sometimes not very much diversity in something like the MCU. Oh, sure. Because yeah. it's like this legacy. Obviously, like, well, all the characters were already were white in the 60s, so that's what we're putting on screen. Fast and the Furious is kind of weirdly the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's a very diverse franchise, and they've written out one white person because he just kind of was in one movie, and then another one died. Yeah. You know, So it's yeah. like now, it's like an all-minority-led franchise. And it just kind of happened. Yeah. And I'm like, yep. well, it's worth maybe it's worth supporting just for that as as wacky and you know dumb as it can be. And it's like it's basically the only major franchise like this that has, yeah. you know, black people, Latinos, and Asians in it uh, without a, a like main white protagonist. It's it's something. Yep. yep. Matthew, did I get an indication that you watched the Forever Purge? Uh, <laughs> purge movies, uh, fall under that particular love hate relationship I have with what I like to call, uh, trash cinema. So yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I guess we're going to review not that in the future. The only, the, well, that's the thing. Let's, I let's mean, talk the, about another fr- movie franchise that has had at least nine movies, Ashley. Yeah, uh, no, there's only two, and the Alien Queen is a feminist icon. But <laughs> Vanity Fair has confirmed that Ellen Ripley will not appear in the upcoming Alien, if you couldn't tell from the context clues, television series. According to showrunner Noah Hawley, quote, it's not a Ripley story. She's one of the greatest characters of all time, and I think the story has been told pretty perfectly, and I don't want to mess with it. It's a story that's set on Earth also. The Alien stories are always trapped, trapped in a prison, trapped in a spaceship. I thought it would be interesting to open it up a little bit so that the stakes of what happens if you can't contain it are more immediate. End quote. Uh, there's no word on when this series is going to be arriving on the FX network. However, Noah Hawley was supposed to be working on a Star Trek movie. And now oh. he's working on an alien TV show. Hmm. And so I'm in inter- the, the, the thing I'm most interested in, I could give or take whether or not Ripley's in it. If it's not going to be Sigourney, I don't, I don't really care. Um, I want to see how much of this is just ported over from that Star Trek. Oh, that, that would be very <laughs> interesting. Now, I, when it gets to, you know, aliens, the alien xenomorphs on Earth, that always concerns me just a little bit because mm-hmm. I guess we've seen what the aliens do and we know that it's just basically in game for Earth. Uh, there was the Starship Troopers series that turned mm-hmm. into an animated series in the late 90s and early 2000s where they actually had the bugs come to Earth. And that was not a good thing for the humans. So I don't, I don't know how this would play, but Matthew, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on no Ellen Ripley in an alien TV series? I'm actually sort of fine with no Ellen Ripley because, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to get Sigourney back. And I feel like recasting that part would be really tough, but more importantly, I feel like he actually pointed out one of the big problems with reboots where he's like, okay, so alien is always this. So my question is, what if not, though? And you're like, okay, but how is that still part of, of, of the concept of Alien? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's, 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 it's different. It's, 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 it's not that. And I'm like, yes, but you, the point, the reason why Alien is always trapped in a prison or in an enclosed space or in a place where you can deal with it is because literally the point of Alien is keeping them from spreading. Yeah. Because once they start spreading, they won't stop. Well, so you're, you're yeah. literally going to have to nerf the aliens if you're going to pull this off. Cat, just, get down. Just have them, uh, just have them uh, turn into, uh, well, never mind. I was going to say em. something mean, but. Uh, Go nerf them. No, nah, yeah, somehow. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts on this? Because I don't know if this coincided with the Vanity Fair thing, but all of a sudden the whole uh, Weyland-Yutani uh, capitalism thing seemed to uh, run alongside this story. Oh, uh, no, that's. Uh... I think a big part of that was like somebody had this like blazing hot take online that was like uh, people watch aliens like people watch aliens like one comment like oh Ellen Ripley's cool this is a fun action movie yes do this and then like another comment is like uh, Will and Utah this is about capitalism Will and Utah he's evil and blah 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 and he's like no this is stupid don't do that to movies. So people were just having a field day, oh, basically okay. making fun of that take. Okay. Um, so that's kind of why uh, Weyland Yutani was trending, and not because of its uh, takeover of Yo Yo Dine. 
Oh, okay. Right. I was, I That's was curious true. on that. It just was really weird. It's like, oh, is this what people are all upset about? Uh, you know, conflating uh, Ellen Ripley as an action hero with uh, the capitalistic message hidden behind Waylon Yutani. And uh, so thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. I guess I need it, to go it, to it know your memes a little bit more. Don't look for messages in your fiction. Right. So people were, you know, people were like, oh yeah, it's like, boom, Robocop. Yay. Boom, boom, boom. Not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you, you guys, get it. you know, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Speaking of uh, no more uh, messages in in my in my uh, fiction, Media. there's not going to be no Lovecraft Country season two. HBO has announced it will not move ahead with the second season of Lovecraft Country. HBO wasn't really clear on why they weren't following up uh, on the uh, second season, but showrunner Misha Green is letting everyone in on what might have been by taking to Twitter and sharing bits and pieces of the season two Bible. The second season uh, would have been set in a new world that featured a United States that was divided into four sections, the tribal nations of the West, the White Lands, which is full of zombies, the New Negro Republic, and the Jefferson Commonwealth. Um, the interesting thing was, apparently it was going to focus on the tribal nations of the West, the New Negro Republic, and the Jeff Jefferson Commonwealth trying to contain the White Lands. Uh, and maybe there was the whole issue of uh, there's already a lot of zombie stuff. Misha Green even kind of said there may have been too many zombie things, and that's why HBO was was passing on that. But if you are a fan of the first season of Lovecraft Country, the way I am, Green has posted all of the scripts that you can download and check out at MishaGreen.com. I'm kind of upset that there was no Lovecraft Country, but at the same time, the book was finite. Uh, Matt Ruff never created a second volume, and that book has been out for eight years now, I want to say. So if there was going to be a follow-up, he had plenty of time to do that. Um, I really enjoyed what they did with the television series. Rodrigo, do you have some thoughts on, on no Lovecraft country season two? Yeah, it's, it's really arcane. You can't really tell how well something did in streaming platforms that just don't release any real numbers. Mm -hmm. So it's tough to, to know if it did as well as something else that is being, um, uh, continued. But but also, when you look at the stuff that they were planning on doing, those are some big swings. And I wonder if if HBO was like, well, maybe we're not ready for maybe we're not ready to put the new Negro Republic on the uh, on TV. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly could be that I know that there are several conspiracy theories floating around that mm -hmm. HBO was concerned that they were portraying all the. Uh, bad guys is white and that HBO was like, Oh, we're going to lose a bunch of subscribers that way. But I, sure. I have no way of, of knowing that I think Misha green, who was the showrunner and wrote several episodes and won a couple of awards, Ashley, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, she has a really good handle of that. And I'm sure if everyone continues to follow her Twitter, she'll mm -hmm. release more information going forward. But the acting was really great in that show. For those of you who haven't seen it, um, journey Smollett was fantastic in that show. And, um, you know, she's done a bunch of other stuff since then, but I think that was the one where people, in addition to birds of prey, really sat up and take, took notice of what she was, what she was doing. So there you go. Rodrigo, why don't you round out the news for us this week? Right. From the not so crazy, but still a rumor department, mm -hmm. uh, comes word that LeBron James might be the next major skin to be added to the Fortnite video game. Those of you who don't play video games, don't freak out. That just means that he's going to be like a playable character. They're not going to skin him. They're not going to skim LeBron James. That's fine. According to Hypex and Sheena, two data miners that have made previous Fortnite discoveries, those who follow the King's Bling quests will be able to unlock the LeBron character. Uh, this does make some sense as Space Jam A New Legacy is its release on July 16th. And WB is no stranger to adding its properties to the game to promote upcoming events. And and Marvel is the same way they did that with um, right. uh, Avengers Endgame. Yeah. But uh, most recently this week, no, yeah, this week, uh, DC wraps up the Batman Fortnite Zero Point crossover mm -hmm. event. So uh, it yeah. would not surprise me if we didn't if we uh, saw this happen in the game. I think I think Fortnite is still the like number one game, certainly in its categories, but possibly the number one most downloaded game. Uh, so everybody, uh, everybody's elbowing each other to get their properties into into Fortnite. I think they did a Rick and Morty thing. They did mm -hmm. a Street Fighter thing. Yeah, they the, did a Snake yeah. Eyes GI Joe thing. Yeah, I think maybe maybe Bethesda got in with like a Fallout thing, or that might have just been might have just been some mods I saw. Very cool. 
Uh, listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and all sorts of other things over on our Discord server. Yes, we have one. I keep saying it every week, and we want to see more of you get over there. Now maybe is the week where you finally sit up and go, yeah, maybe I am going to check out that Discord server. Stephen, where's a link to the Discord server? Well, look at your app. It's right there in the show notes. You just click on that. That'll launch your Discord server app. You can come in and say hello to all the wonderful people that are hanging out. They're waiting to share all their cat gifts with you. Maybe you want to talk about comic books. Maybe you want to talk about movies or television. Maybe you want to talk about sports. Uh, whatever. There is a channel for just about everything you're interested in on the Major Spoilers Discord. Everyone is super nice over there, so don't be afraid. Don't feel nervous or scared about going in and introducing yourself. Joining the Discord server is completely free, but if you are a patron over at patreon.com slash majorspoilers, you can link your Discord account and your Patreon account together, and that will unlock even more channels for you to access. It was kind of funny because there were a couple of people this past week who were like, I guess I have never really added my discord and my Patreon together. And suddenly mm-hmm. they were like, Oh my gosh, look at all this other stuff that's there. And so they're able to come in and listen to us record dueling review live, join in on the GM roundtable, and a whole lot more. If you want to find out how you can do that, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right. It is review time and we have some, some things to review. And Ashley, I'm going to start with you because I have some thoughts on this. This is the new Steven Soderbergh movie. It's no sudden move that came out this past week on HBO Max. I finally had a chance to sit down and watch it, but I have thoughts. Yeah, we watched um, we watched this and we watched the, uh, the the movie I just want to call the Kents that Kevin Costner, Diane Lane. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let uh, him go. Let him go. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. OK, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, shame on Hollywood for trying to convince us Diane Lane isn't still um, an absolute babe because yeah. right? she is. She but, is hotter than donut grease, my friends. <laughs> but she's not in No Sudden Move. Don Frank Cheadle Jr., Kansas City's favorite son, is in No Sudden Move. And it is a gangster mafia movie, I guess. Um, Little corporate I espionage. Like, yes. I like mafia movies. Jason Inman, who I watched this with, does not like mafia movies. So this was a real interesting undertaking for us. And it follows two kind of minor gangsters in Detroit as they, it's sort of up to your interpretation, either outsmart or fail their way upward into what eventually becomes a commentary about um, car, car exhaust and pollution, which I didn't see coming, but I wasn't mad about. Uh, Brendan Fraser also um, moonlights in it. Like Kieran Culkin is in it. It is a stacked cast. Noah Matt, Jude, Matt, Matt the, Damon uh, is in there. The, Matt Damon, the good kid from Shazam, is in this. And I have to tell you, I had very low expectations for this movie. And uh, other than the weird lens, this is shot with a lens that would have been used at the time period when the movie is set, which is a cool gag. But if, like me, you're streaming this at home, the way it's stretched out for a television, uh, it kind of gives it a fisheye lens, which after yeah. a while I just sort of ignored. Uh, my understanding from other reviews is that if you see it in the cinema, it's it's very cool and effective. But if you're watching, I'm assuming a lot of people who might be interested in this will be watching it at home. Mm-hmm. What I thought was really cool about this is because crime and, and like mafia or mafia-adjacent stories have been kind of done to death. Like mafia stories were put to bed, in my opinion, with the Godfather and then buried in the ground, like the cement truck was backed over them with the Sopranos. Like, it's really hard to do something kind of new and innovative with them. And by having the two leads be Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro, um, unfortunately, because the world is the way it is, that's a pretty good way to do something different with this uh don cheadle in my opinion really like runs away with the movie and if you only know him as roadie who even though he got his spine shattered is still pretty focused and upbeat and driven his turn in this as uh curtis goines is like really really good and it was like it was a nice reminder of why he's an academy award Mm -hmm. nominated actor like he's a tour de force in it and that everyone else like david harbour plays um i don't know kind of a fall guy in it like a pretty pretty unlikable character but like he's great in it and i just think everything in in this movie was really awesome it is a tight two hours 
which the older I get, the more I'm coming to appreciate in a, a post Snyder Cut world. And it's nice to be reminded that even big movies on big scales like this, like this movie has a ton of money and, and like <laughs> CAA behind it, uh, you can still do something really interesting uh, and really worthy of all of the power behind it. And you don't have to always be complacent in that because sometimes in the movie making machine, it feels a little cut and paste sometimes. And I just thought no sudden move is like the coolest movie I've seen in a long time. And I, I, I kind of wish that it would get the audience it deserves in the larger cinematic sphere but I think enough people have HBO Max and it's just also just a masterclass from Steven Soderbergh. Like even though mm-hmm. there's a bit of warping, the movie looks great at, at every turn. And I will say whoever dressed the sets, good job on that. Art yeah, director. really, really good. Really I mean, great. this really feels like a 1950s movie, right? Yeah. With, with uh, the way that the interior sets are decorated, the clothes that people are wearing. I think they shot this in Detroit. So that gives I it a, so. another thing. Um, Steven, speaking of the lens, it's a square lens. Um, so there is masking that goes on I top of the bottom known that you would know, but it's a, well, actually I only knew it because I listened to Steven Soderbergh talking on WTF with Mark Marin, and Mark pointed it out. And Soderbergh is like, yeah, this is like not a 90 millimeter lens. This is a 90 degree lens. And I think it's an anamorphic too, but it, it causes this weird stretching that if you're looking at something straight on it, everything looks normal. But the minute that the camera starts moving or panning, which is something that cameras didn't really do in the fifties, then yeah, it's like a weird accordion warping thing that goes on as something moves across the screen. But Soderbergh said the reason why he wanted to use that is because he wanted you to see the environment from a very different angle, from a wider angle. Like if you're at a corner, you can see things coming at you from both sides in that. Even though that's really cool, I found it super distracting uh, mm-hmm. for about the first half of the movie. But mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, once you start getting into what is this document that these guys have, and you start unveiling the bigger story, then I think it really, it really clicks as a movie and you really need to pay attention because there are people that don't know what this document is, such as Ray Liotta's, um, uh, mafia guy who keeps calling it a, a Cadillac convertible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so you're, you really have to, at that point need to start focusing on what's going on and who's trying to double cross who and how it all comes around. And then I think that there are some times where you do get a little bit distracted by the actors. Like I, I, I mentioned, uh, what's his name? Um, Matt Damon shows up as he does in a lot of Soderbergh movies. And it's just like, oh, hey, there's Matt Damon. Oh, what are they talking about again? Uh, kind of thing. But I forgot you had mentioned Brendan Fraser. And I was like, yeah, I remember seeing his name in the credit. Who was he? And so he I just really. Doug Jones. Yeah, he plays, he plays a heavy set guy in this movie. And I was like. Holy cow, that does not look anything like him. But I agree with Ashley. This is something that you should probably be be streaming and watching as soon as you possibly can. What's the bottom rating that you're giving this, Ashley? Oh, I mean, I five out of five. I, I loved it the whole way through. And having recently watched the Rick and Morty heist episode, it was mm-hmm. even funnier to yeah, me yeah. at certain points. Yeah, yeah. All right, Rodrigo, let's uh, flip from movies to TV. And I'm very curious on your review of this because the youngest and I sat down and we watched the first episode and we both really kind of liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The Mysterious Benedict Society uh, is a show that is on Disney Plus, but you might not have heard of it because it came out either the week prior to or after or exactly when Loki premiered. Yeah. So I I feel that I, I think you know, this kind of like uh, lemony snickets, like kid adventure show is kind of in the wheelhouse of, you know, major spoilers and the people that we talk to online and everything, but it's like really gone under the radar, I think because of the MCU stuff that's been coming out. But so I sat down and I watched it. I literally was like, do I want to watch Loki again? Like the three episodes that are out, or do I want to watch the show, which looks interesting and has, you know, buster from arrested development so i was like okay well i'm gonna watch the show and i was kind of really surprised at how much uh, at, at a lot of the stuff that's going on in here so the premise is that there is this uh this thing called the emergency everybody knows about it the emergency is coming it's happening um and as it turns out 
the emergency is made up and it's causing big problems because um, major like social and, and governmental institutions have been dismantled. They can't deal with it. Um, and the, there's all of this like talk nonsense that distorts and hides the truth of things. Um, and so this guy, uh, Mr. Benedict, recruits a team of bright, empathetic children who are then sent sort of in an undercover mission to uh, investigate where this is happening because it just so happens that um, the source of this is a private school that's out on an island, right? So they masquerade as students, you know, or, or really they just enroll as students and they're trying to find out what's going on. Um, it's like, obviously it has some very timely themes. Um, and, and it's interesting to see because again, I have seen very little about people talking about this. Mm -hmm. So I looked some stuff up and I saw a, an article from the Hollywood reporter, just uh, rating it right. Just as a review. And they said that a lot of the stuff that the good guys are talking about, sounds like right-wing propaganda. And it's interesting because it, could right if you're just listening to it if you're you know it, it could be seen either way except for you know a few things like you know the focus on empathy the focus on um really like both personal well-being and like collective um relationships you know your friends your family your community the people around you um while when the kids get to the institute, like it's all about sort of individual and the individual being uh, like, what do they say? Like, um, like not rel. It's like the 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 individual serving, right? It's like you have to be useful. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting because it's a show, and they have to like introduce interesting, fun things. Um, you know, it's all done through like subliminal messages and like kind of more sci-fi stuff. And it, you know, sort of makes those themes harder to latch on to sometimes. And honestly, the majority of the time, it's a show about like four really smart kids, like solving puzzles and like sneaking around and having fun adventures. So there's a lot there, but you only really have to engage with as much as you like. Um, the, obviously the kids are great. It's a fantastic cast. Um, it also stars, uh, Kristen Shaw. Uh, like I said, um, class name's Hale and it just disappeared from my brain, but Tony Hale. yeah. So, um, plus, uh, a couple other, uh, the adult faculty, uh, of the, the Benedict society, um, there's a couple other ones, uh, that I hadn't seen before. Um, and everybody does a really great job. It's very well paced. Um, the mysteries, like in every episode, you unravel a little bit of the mystery. It feels like you're getting somewhere. Um, visually it's kind of a, um, it's like very Wes Anderson-y. Yeah, that's that's my think is that it looks yeah. very much like Lemony Snicket's or Wes Anderson. And right. if you like that aesthetic, great. But it seems like a lot of kids shows these days are using that aesthetic for their yeah. for their. It's look. like it's it's an easy way to. It's kind of an easy way to get you to stop paying attention to that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. In like in a very overt way, is like this is this big anachronistic thing. Don't worry about the time period, right? It's like, you can tell that there are no cell phones. Uh, you can tell that, you know, there's no internet. Um, and that's, that's all you need to know. Right. So this can take place anywhere from like 1979 to like 1950, uh, uh, going backwards. So it's, it's interesting. It's, um, it, gives the show a kind of a distinct look. Um, but I, I agree that that look is kind of popular right now. Um, it's, it's, 
it's not very Wes Anderson in the way that it's shot. It's actually very much shot like a, you know, single camera, like adventure kind of a thing. You don't get a lot of like people sitting in a like perfectly centered in a giant room or, you know, exploring sort of like those big open themes visually. Um, the all of the the cinematography and the effects really are there to serve kind of like the adventure narrative. And there's some mm-hmm. cool um, visual like effects about uh, there are times when like uh, multiple kids are asked to solve the same problem. And the way that they solve them is you is often illustrated with visual effects. Right. So there's a, there's a thing where they have to like make their way through a maze. So they cut to one kid and he, you can see him mapping out the maze in his brain. Um, you cut to another kid, they're doing something else. And so there's a different effect or maybe no effect. Right. Um, so it's, that's all fun. I enjoy that. Um, altogether it's a, it's like, it's been a very good watching experience. I watched the first episode there were two more and I was like, I just want to watch more of this. You know, it's like, it's cute, it's family friendly, and it's got some, some like big ideas that I think are important right now. Uh, I'm going to give it, I'm actually going to give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. Nice. Um, it is. Uh, It's good television, and I think that everybody's sleeping on it. Yeah, I think so, too. I think one of the nice things about it, especially for younger viewers, is it shows that there are different ways that you can solve problems. Absolutely, yeah. And number two, I think it also gets into being kind to other people. Yeah. Uh, I think are two really big themes that we got just from the first, for the first uh, episode. Like, just kind of a not spoiler, spoiler. Uh, There's a kid named, what's his name, Reynard. Um, Yeah he has to go and take this test. And while he's getting ready to walk into a building, another girl is, it drops her pencil down a hole. And the only thing you can bring into the test is a pencil. And everybody's only been exactly issue one pencil. One pencil. And yeah. Raynard <laughs> looks down there and the girl's like, Oh no, if I don't go into this test, my life will be ruined. And he thinks, and he's like, Oh, okay, well, and he snaps his pencil in half and gives her half and him half. And he's able to go in and take the test. And she's also like, well, I'm going to cheat. You should cheat with me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to cheat. And he's the only one in the class that is able to, to move forward because he doesn't right. act of kindness and also because he doesn't cheat. And so I think yeah. those kind of little messages, if those run throughout the entire series, I think are a good plus. Yeah. The, the show has, and I, I think this comes from the book. The show has all of these, uh, puzzle moments, right? Where mm-hmm. you, you yourself get to look at the puzzle and try to figure out a way to solve it. And then they show you multiple ways that the kids attack it. The kids are also smart in different ways. Like there's a kid who's mechanically smart, right? Who's like very able with like stuff and machinery and finding physical solutions to problems. Uh, There's another kid who is just like has a very high retention. So he knows a lot of facts, right? Um, And and all of these kids are uh, important and they all get their chance to shine. So it also shows you there's lots of different ways to be uh, intelligent, lots of different ways to help your friends. It, it's got a lot of good, good, you know, warm, fuzzy messages to it that, that I think are very relevant right now. Oh yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, so thank you for that, Rodrigo. Now let us jump into some comic books and I, I'm afraid, Matthew, I'm afraid of what you're going to say about IDW publishing's GI Joe snake eyes, dead game. Number five from everyone's favorite, uh, comic book writer and artist, Rob Liefeld. Be afraid, Stephen. Be very afraid. Here's the deal. Stephen and I covered Snake Eyes Dead Game Number One several months ago on our Dueling Review podcast. One of the five. I have zero recollection. I have zero recollection. (laughs) That's the reason. There's a reason for that, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But the thing about it is, okay, so here's the deal. Imagine that Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is nearly 40 years old now. I I have a personal relationship with Snake Eyes in that I was one of the 11-year-old kids dying to get the Snake Eyes action figure in 1982. And Snake Eyes is like this super, super ninja. And people are like, yeah, he's like Batman. I'm like, no, he's not. He's a freaking soldier. Shut up. But this book, Snake Eyes, Dead Game, is part of a larger IDW G.I. Joe universe. There are some great books to be had in that larger G.I. Joe universe, and I want you to maybe look for them. Things that are written by Larry Hama, good stuff. There was a recent run where they did a revamp of G.I. Joe in kind of a postmodern take. Pretty good stuff. And also this comic, 
So um, this issue opens with something that I don't feel like is necessarily a huge betrayal, but it is unusual to me. Uh, Snake Eyes is known for being a silent character. Uh, due to injury and or, you know, ninja training, he never speaks. This issue is narrated uh, by Snake Eyes. Now, it, it's narrated as in the form of a typed out report where he talks about, you know, these are the things that happened on my mission and everything that happened. And I was in the mountains, in the Himalaya mountains, fighting a god with the hammer of Thor. Now, I, I had to pause there for just a moment because even saying it, I was just like, man, what? Okay, what? so Snake Eyes is fighting a god with the hammer of Thor. Also, Destro and the Baroness are practicing their clarinets, and they are here to try and steal the hammer of Thor and the sword of, um, I don't know, some guy who is uh, an evil undead red ninja that Steven does not remember from that story. Is it Carnage? That's I'm pretty sure it's Carnage. But... The undead in ancient red ninja also has a super, super cute half naked yellow ninja daughter who is being written in and suddenly is a huge part of Snake Eyes' backstory. After he trained to be a ninja with the Arashikaki clan, he went and hung out with this girl, and that's why he is considered worthy to handle the Hammer of Thor. And so he's fighting with the Hammer of Thor, and there's a lot of fighting. There are some really. What's the word I'm looking for? courageous two-page spreads. There are some moments that really just stick out as I'm going to draw this awesome double-page combat spread, and it's going to be killer, and it's going to be awesome. And there are a lot of those. And this book does not have a lot of what I would consider, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Backgrounds. So as we go through the story, um, I want to point out something about the credits of this book. Written as the story is credited to Robert W. Liefeld Jr. The script is uh, attributed to Chad. Chad also did the dialogue and Rob did the pencils. And for reasons which could be awesome or could be scary, there are 21 credited inkers on this comic book. Uh -huh. I, I think what I think actually happened was this is a big throw out all the thing, kick out the jams, pull out the stops. We're going to have everybody come in. Anybody who's a cool G.I. Joe fan gets to ink a page of Rob's story. Because there's people in here like, you know, Carl Kiesel, Jerry Ordway, Ryan Otley, Wills Portaccio, names that you would know who have inked a page of Rob's story, which, as I mentioned, is Snake Eyes fighting an undead god with the Hammer of Thor. The Hammer of Thor gets shattered but Snake Eyes, being brilliant, stabs the undead god with it. Somehow that kills him. And the story ends with Snake Eyes looking into the camera and going, because he doesn't talk. And I got to tell you, there are some big swings being taken here, artistically, creatively, you know, just in terms of the, the, the guts it took to put this together, the amount of of chutzpah, of awesome that went into this. Definitely people are, were, 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 they wanted to make this a memorable book, but it's memorable for me in many of the wrong ways, because what story we get is sort of, okay, there's a bad guy and the bad guy is dead, except that he's not. And snake eyes, you know, basically kicks him until he dies, which again, simple story is not a problem. The dialogue is very, very overwritten. Um, Destro is in this. Destro, you may remember, as the guy with the steel face. Under the pencils of Rob Liefeld, he's the guy with the steel face and like 52 teeth and a huge, huge smile. And I got to tell you, this comic is not for me. As I've mentioned, there are great G.I. Joe comics coming out from IDW. This comic is just not for me. It's just kind of a mess. It feels like the last 10 minutes of a movie that should have two robots and Joel Hodgson out in the, in the audience. And I don't want to be cruel. I don't like to be cruel. I don't like to say, Hey, this is, this book is bad. And I'm, I can't necessarily say that it's objectively bad because people love Rod Liefeld's art. 
but I went through this and I'm like, this, this scene doesn't make sense after this scene and the sequence just doesn't make sense. And these people are, you know, saying 15, 20 minutes of dialogue while floating in midair and snake eyes talks. And it's just, it, it doesn't feel like a snake eye story or a GI Joe story. And I feel like the, the reason, the biggest problem for me is if this book was redrawn and the main character were shaft or task or risk or pavement or dump truck or paycheck or one of the guys from young blood, it would not change the story a whit. There's nothing about this issue that needs to be a snake eyes story. This is a Rob Liefeld story where snake eyes is drawn as the main protagonist. And I think that's my biggest problem with it. Um, I can't say that it's terrible, that it's without merit, because again, mileage will vary for me. One and a half slices of meatloaf for Snake Eyes in yeah, Dead Game, Dead End, End Game. Number five, I, I'm i sad, you guys. I'm Why? sad and I, I need a hug. Yeah, that's rough. Sometimes you, you read a book and you're like, they really wanted this to be memorable and amazing. And they really went to the trouble of trying to kick everything into 15th gear and make it all just over the top amazing. And it just, it doesn't land on any level for me. And that is, that's kind of frustrating and that's kind of sad. Yeah, I can understand that. But you know, on the plus side, you can go and check out uh, Rob Liefeld's the shield over there on uh, Archie comics. Maybe you'll have some, some varying thoughts on that. Maybe they will be more positive. Are you threatening me? (laughs) I mean, maybe. Here's something that I think everybody will get a kick out of. It's Red Sonja, Black, White, Red, number one, out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, This is not the first time that Dynamite has done uh, the Black, White, and other color uh, story, especially when it uh, relates to Red Sonja. This one, though, has writers Kurt Busiek, Mark Russell, and Amanda Dybert, all uh, providing some stories with some really cool art from Benjamin Dewey, Bob Q, and Kat Staggs. Um, Three different stories, all featuring Red Sonja doing different things. Uh, by far, my favorite one is where the one where Red Sonia ends up in a prison and you've got these other prisoners that are like, no, you know who we're being held captured by? The great sorcerer man. We all love this. All those other people who have died just didn't know how great they had it here. And then, you know, Sonia breaks out of the jail and she's wandering around and all the prisons, prison guards are like, oh, yes, we love our great sorcerer man. And all the people in the castle are like, oh, the leader of this uh, area is fantastic. And come to find out that they're all just been kind of brainwashed and also brainwashed themselves into thinking that even though this horrible person is doing horrible things, not only to them and to other people, but he is, he is, he is a great person. And I really kind of dug that story overall. Um, There's one where she fights an invisible monster that feels very much out of a, a classic Conan tale. And uh, there's another one where red Sonia draws out a bunch of, um, uh, bandits that are, that are tracking her and uh, she ends up taking care of them. It is a wonderful little grouping of stories. I think that the art is fantastic. The fact that it's mostly black and white with splashes of red, either red Sonia's hair or all the blood that she is uh, letting out on all of the people uh, that she, she murders in this book uh, kind of make that uh, fairly apparent. But it's it's very pretty to look at. The stories are super competent. Mark Russell just finished a run on Red Sonja uh, just recently for Dynamite Entertainment. I think this may be the first time I've ever read uh, Kurt Busiek doing a Red Sonja tale. Uh, but his is, is really good as well. Uh, this is just a well-put-together book. Three great stories. I think it's worth picking up for $4.99. It's out this week from Dynamite Entertainment. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. It was just really enjoyable and refreshing to read some red uh, Sonia books this week. So there you go. And uh, dear listeners, there you go. There are some reviews for you to look forward to some uh, uh, movies and television and comic books that are all available right now as you're listening to this. And Hey, you know what? Do us a favor. If you are over on the major spoilers website, and maybe you want to pick up a couple of these uh, comics that Matthew and I were just talking about, either the snake eyes, dead game or the red Sonia, black, white and red number one, or just, it's not and red. It's just black, white, red. Black, white, red. You can click on that Comixology uh, banner at the top of the page. And when you go and make a purchase through that link, that's an affiliate link that we have. A little bit of money comes back our way and helps the cause. Likewise, when you look at any review that we have on the Major Spoilers website, 
Um, unless it's from a couple of companies that don't deal with comiXology, I will usually put a little link right under the cover of that review uh, of the comic that's being reviewed that you can click on. And then also that'll take you right to the comiXology page where you can make that purchase. And again, a little bit comes back our way. So thanks comiXology for having that affiliate program and asking us to be a part of it. And I would encourage you to head over to majorspoilers.com every day for even more reviews. I, you know, Ashley talked a little bit about Black Widow, the movie coming out this, is it this weekend in theaters and on the Disney pluses? Yes, that is a true thing. And Ashley had some thoughts about this. And uh, so why not, since everyone else is now doing a Black Widow tie-in, how about we finally get around to reviewing and taking a look at Black Widow, Shields Most Wanted, that I think we originally had scheduled like last year, or maybe it was a year and a half ago on the Major Spoilers uh, podcast. But we kept bumping it because we were like, we should probably wait until the movie comes out. Well, the movie's here. And now here's Black Widow's Shields Most Wanted from Mark Wade and Chris Samney. Uh, Matthew and I did review the very first ep- uh, issue of this on the Dueling <laughs> Review show. I do remember I that one, Matthew. I have no memory of this comic. <laughs> you don't? Because what I remember about this is because the first issue was basically your, your trailers before the opening credits uh, kind of <laughs> scene where uh, Black Widow is busting out of S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ. I was totally into the book just because of all the action that we are presented with in that first issue. And the fact that it is so few words and it really let lets Chris Samney's art shine. And that to me is kind of how the rest of the rest of the book went. Um, Ashley, what's, what's going on in, in this book? So you seen Nat be a spy. You seen Nat kiss Matt's face. Now see Nat run, run, Nat run. And it's honestly, pretty great <laughs> yeah it, it really it, is it gives me that like um like classic james bond feel where like half of the movie is folks running around and shooting at each other and i am truly not mad about it one bit yeah it's and then, it, like other cameos but mostly is, nat runs <laughs> this is one of those this is one of those books where we kind of get a little bit more backstory about uh black widow when she was part of the the red room organization and being trained as an assassin and having the past come back and haunt her. So maybe a little bit like Skyfall uh, in a sense that way. Um, And then we also get to see how her actions in present day are affecting her relationship with shield. And at, by the end of this issue, her relationship with Tony Stark, I don't know what happens in the second arc of this uh, run. uh, If she also has to go and talk with Clint or go and talk with other people that she has interacted with through her life. But uh, that's kind of what's going on in here is, is let's go back to Russia and let's see what's going on there. And let's find out who, you know, what this information is that she's been tasked with stealing from shield and, and, and what's going on. Did you like this story, Matthew? Is it starting to come back to you? I did. I remember the book. It was just a joke, but yes. Um, I think the, the most fascinating part about this is not necessarily the setup, but as Ashley said, it's a lot of action and it's one of those it's almost like a, an exercise of, can we do six issues of constant forward motion? Can we have this character constantly on the run, constantly on the move, you know, dodging Iron Man, dodging being stabbed in the gut, dodging, you know, evil guys who think they're lions, going through all of this stuff, and then also taking in the flashbacks to the Red Room. And the answer turns out to be, yep. And they do it really, really well. It reads so fast, but it's not because it's bad. It's not because it's slight. It's because this is a story that goes fast. This is a story that, you know, you couldn't tell in any other place. You couldn't tell this story as effectively as all words. You couldn't tell it necessarily as a cartoon, because even if you have that forward motion, you wouldn't necessarily have that you know, the thing that comic books can do, which is dun 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 dun, dun and then we jump dun 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 and it makes perfect sense. Plus, you know, Samney, Samney's amazing. Oh yeah. Amazing. Um I was going through all of my original art and found a couple of original Chris Samney. I don't know if they were commissions that I had him do or if they were just ones that he had done when he was doing his art a day uh series a couple of years ago and he was just turning around and selling those. But it just, you know, holding his art in your hand. And just looking at it, and it's like, oh, this is amazing stuff. This looks mm-hmm. so cool. This is just beautiful. And then being able to see it with color in 
the pages of, of this trade is just, you know, breathtaking the way he does the double, the, the, and I think back to in the first issue where she's jumping out of the shield headquarters and everything has this kind of retro feel to it, but this giant double page spread that he has of the shield helicarrier. And you just see this little line coming out to show how mm-hmm. tiny Nat is as she's falling through the sky. Just, just breathtaking. I, Rodrigo, I don't know how, how you feel about the art in this, in this book, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's very enjoyable. Um, lots of, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of artistic decisions in this, like, um, the flashbacks are red, which mm-hmm. then means, uh, which then get superimposed, right? So as, uh, Black Widow's walking through her old uh, headquarters, I guess. Um, she will like look over, and there will be like a little like red version of her doing something, and that will lead to like a flashback, which is red, right? So there's a lot of um, uh, the art sort of facilitates this like kind of back and forth uh, movement um, between the what's happening now and what happened then. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Matthew, and maybe Ashley, you do too, because I know this week on Geek History Lesson, you guys did a deep dive into Black Widow. Oh, is, you better believe I wrote that episode in December of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> is there a bunch of retconning going on as far as her past story, or is this pretty much, let's expand upon uh, stuff that, that we already know about? Yes. Well, the thing that you have to remember is that the Red Room itself is a relatively recent invention. It's a retcon from the 21st century. That. So when you look at, you know, the Black Widow, first of all, her story is, you know, 50, 60 years old. So she's always had this, ooh, mysterious past. I think the Red Room stuff dates back to the beginning of Yelena Belova in like 2003. Marvel Nights. That was what our our, our episode this week in Geek History Lesson is on Yelena because we did not like in year one when we were still recording in our closet. (laughs) But you also look at this and, you know, this is building on that established retcon, which, you know, at this point is a decade old. And there's, you know, new moments and establishing new characters and dealing with an old character, the headmistress. But what it really comes down to is with a character like this, you know, the, the secret Wolverine backstory character, you can always kind of go in and go, and you also didn't know this about me. Mm -hmm. And it feels natural because this is a, you know, she's designed to be a spy. She keeps things close to the vest. And, you know, when you start the series with, an issue that's basically the main character falling 40,000 feet to the streets of Manhattan. You can kind of get away with a little bit of retconning in of, Hey, there's, here's this character Anya that she used to have a problem with now. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, especially the, uh, the headmistress or the, uh, the guy that, uh, is teaching her to shoot and using the weapons. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if those were established characters or if those specifically were like characters introduced specifically for this series or, or what. Uh, the headmistress definitely predates this series. Um, the original headmistress was part of those original Red Room retcons back in like 2003. Mm-hmm. Anya, who takes over as the new headmistress or overtakes whatever it is that she does, is new to this issue or these these issues. But it's building on stuff that we had already seen. Okay. All right. Uh, what did you not care for as much, uh, Ashley? Um, I'm not a huge Black Widow fan as the lead of a series. Um, okay. I I see her more as... Uh, I hate the term anti-hero because the literal definition is a villain, but I, I see her occupying a little more of that gray area, kind of like Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I see her more in the larger Avengers landscape, which is not to say that there haven't been great Black Widow stories or whatever, whatever. It's just like for my taste when I was like, okay, we're going to sit down and read a Black Widow. That's just never the thing that's going to get me the most excited in the world. So, but that what's good about this book is it's mostly just looking at pretty pictures. Yeah. I <laughs> like mean, you could really be like, yes, Dawn, like how could you read this? There's no picture. Like it's the opposite experience yeah, yeah. of that. But 
like my just my enthusiasm level going into it was a little bit lower. Like Wade and Insomni are, I believe they're coming off Daredevil into this run. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, they're just they're masters at what they do, and they're a masterful team. So I, for me, there's very little not to like besides being like, well, Nat's like not my favorite character in the whole world. I, I can understand that. I mean, it is she is one of those that lurk in the dark kind of characters that probably doesn't need a whole lot of backstory or a whole lot of in-depth development when you think that she's the one that's supposed to be quiet and jump out and take out the bad guy. Like we see at the, uh, at the funeral that, that, uh, um, what's her name is attending with the elder and she's got to sneak yeah. in and take, yeah, take out all those guys. Um, yeah. So maybe you don't need to know much more about her. Although I do think that having a little bit of knowledge, especially, and again, I realize that, this is a book that came out in 2016. The movie hadn't even been yeah. announced yet, but it, it feels like as you start to explore, oh, it was surely in the works though, like, yeah, but was, I doubt they said Mark being negotiated. I'm, I, I don't think that they sat Mark Wade down and said, look, Mark, we want you to write a comic book series that talks about the red room and all of these little children that have been trained over the years because we got a movie that's going to be focusing a lot of, of that. And, uh, what is it? Her sister, uh, in the movie. And, the, yeah. yeah, so I I don't know, but it just feels like this feels like something that ties very closely to the movies in that sense, if that makes if, if that is clear. Or, yeah, the movie is using this and other stories as source material, I think. Yeah, it, it could be really the thing that that's uncanny about this is this this came out in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. And so did Captain America Civil War. And they both use this device where Iron Man is just kind of minding his business. And then he realizes that somebody killed somebody important to him, sort of, (laughs) right? It's like in this, it's like his, uh, his mentor guy while he was in, while he was trapped in a cave with a box of scraps. Yep. And in, uh, in uh, civil war, it was his parents. So it's like they, uh, uh, Presently, uncannily, they both use the same device to get Iron Man mad at uh, at, at a specific character. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's a, what's the bottom line for everybody on this? Is this a is this a must read book? Is this a skip book? Is there is there something in between? What 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 do you think there, Matthew? This is pretty solid. I would say that if you were looking for sort of an entry, a gateway to modern Black Widow takes this would be a very, very solid place to start. Uh, You know, it actually called it Wade and Samney work together so seamlessly that, you know, you can't do the whole, well, the artist wrote this and then the the drawer drew it. You can't really do that. And Wade has come out and said that he and Chris worked together, wrote it together, plotted it together, put it all together. And I think that that comes through on the page. So, there are Black Widow stories that I might say I like better, mm-hmm. but I think that if you wanted to know modern Black Widow and get a feel for you know modern Black Widow, even though it makes me mad that every single you know modern spy story is all about everybody's untrustworthy and everybody's a jerk and everything is corrupt from the middle and rotten to the core and everything is bad and awful and nobody gets to be Derek Flint anymore. You know, there's my age rant right there. Um, I, this is this is good. This is very good. And, you know, again, you want Black Widow? This is some pretty good Black Widow, y'all. Yeah, and I I guess I would say that, that same thing, too. I'm sure there's some better stories. Uh, I'm, I know that there's worse stories that feature Black Widow. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm kind of a Samney and, and Wade fanboy. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of colored in my opinion on this piece. But this You're is a Wade just, nerd. I know it's very well written. The art is fantastic. Um, if you've seen all the appearances of black widow in the Marvel movies, I think you will have very little problem coming into this book. So if you're looking to find a book that feels connected with the upcoming movie, I haven't seen an uh, upcoming movie. Unlike some people, Mm. um, then I would say that this is probably that good connection point. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I'm going to say, go and read it. Uh, Rodrigo, what about you? Uh, this is, this is a fun spy thriller, but also we learn almost nothing. And like, mm-hmm. all, like the, the plot itself is kind of not really advanced by it. Like this feels like the first 
act of a, of a spy movie. Um, so because of that, I'd say maybe if you get this and like the next volume together, pick it up. But um, I, I mean, it's worth it's worth getting from your library for the art. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And actually, we're going to give you the final word on Black Ooh. Widow. Uh, I would say that this is definitely worth checking out, particularly if you're not uh, super familiar with Black Widow in the comics. This is a really clean, easy entrance point, and it is a beautiful story to behold. I would say uh, either borrow it from a friend or use that sweet affiliate link that we have on Comixology. Mm -hmm. And if you like it, there are more volumes that you can get into, and then you can do... Uh, some Googling or listen to us scream on any past episode with further recommendations. But I think this is a solid check it out. If you are interested in the character, if you want to do uh, some prep work, a movie, or if you see the movie and you're like, maybe I do want to dive into the comic. I just, I think this is a really nice spot for a modern fan uh, who's maybe not as familiar. Well said, Ashley. Well said. And also for those of you who are looking for a physical copy of this book, there is a link to the Amazon affiliate link in the show notes. That you can click on again. Uh, more people need to use that Amazon affiliate link. It really does help us out every time you make a purchase. Uh, there's a link on the front page of the Major Spoilers website. I know some people, like my wife, automatically just bookmarks uh, her Amazon page through that link. So whenever she goes to Amazon, she just clicks on that, and so a little bit comes back for every purchase. Doesn't matter if it's toilet paper. Doesn't matter if it's deodorant. Oh man, we have this. I don't know if it's through Amazon yet. We have this subscription through Charmin where they send you like this industrial sized roll of toilet paper every month. <laughs> and it lasts you like literally will last you until the next shipment comes, which is amazing. And I'm pretty sure we get that through Amazon. You can go and check that out over at uh, the affiliate link through majorspoilers.com website. We thank everybody for that. And again, if you want to buy this physical copy, you can do that there as well. Well, I think we've reached the end of this show. Did everybody have fun tonight? Did you have fun, Ashley? Always. Where can people find more of your rantings, including the time that Black <laughs> Widow was a lingerie model? That's true. She owned like a million dollar corporation. Uh, I wish that was a lie. It's wild. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V Robinson. The V is very important. Please share your Black Widow hot takes with me as long as you're friendly about them. There you go. Matthew, what about you? Where can people find more of you? You can find me at Mighty V King Cobra. The V is invisible and should not be there or else you won't find me. But you can find Just me there like on the cobras. Twitter page. Just like many Cobras. You never know they're there until they jump out and bite you. They just leap up and they're like, oh, and they bite your face. I always have reoccurring dreams of snakes jumping out and biting me. Oh, you know, you know what that means in a Freudian sense? What does it mean? It means you're afraid of snakes. <laughs> That's probably what it means. <laughs> I literally am. I go out and I get up and I work, uh, go out and walk. I, I, since my son now has uh, driving lessons at like 630 in the morning, I'm getting up at 430 in the morning to start my day. And I go out in the dark and I'm walking near pastures and stuff. And I'm like, and I wonder if there's any rattlesnakes going to just jump out and bite me. Oh, well, that'll solve all my problems if they do. Here, what? sneaky, what? sneaky, sneaky. What? What? <laughs> so look, so I've been doing this. So uh, I've been getting up at 430 in the morning. For this is now the second week now uh, to start my day, and it's really fascinating. I've learned, I've learned some amazing things. Would you like to know the 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 number one amazing thing that I have learned in this whole thing, Rodrigo? Yes, I'm freaking tired. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It takes it out of you, man. Rodrigo, where can people find more from you? Uh, you can go to Twitter and look for at fearsome critter um you know just just like it's spelled um where where i'm probably complaining about uh magic the gathering dungeons and dragons something else uh but i could also potentially be talking about snakes there too because they are interesting yeah uh rodrigo had an interesting uh, take on uh, translating video games in spanish for his mother so you can go follow him uh, over there as well and and listen dear listeners Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please spread the word. There's so many ways that you can help major spoilers without having to make any kind of financial contribution, although that financial contribution does help us. Uh, you can go out and tell your friends about this show. You can retweet things that we do. Some people that like uh, J. Michael T. do this uh, all the time will retweet uh, things that we send out because he's a he's a great uh, fan. 
you can do that. It doesn't cost you anything. And maybe your followers will come and check us out. Uh, you can uh, promote our shows. You can go into our discussions and our, our chat rooms and, and chat up other people. Uh, just be a good person. Be a good comic book person when you are out and about. Maybe you uh, are in a comic book shop as they are starting to open back up and you go in there and people are talking about some of their favorite podcasts. Join in on that conversation. Maybe you'll find some uh, other podcasts that are, you know, maybe a little bit more interesting, but probably not than the Major Spoilers podcast. But then you can tell those people, hey, have you heard the Major Spoilers podcast? Have you heard the Dueling Review podcast? Have you heard the Legion Clubhouse podcast? And I bet those people will become your instant friends once they find out you're part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we love your feedback. So join the rest of the cool kids at the Major Spoiler Discord server to share your thoughts, your reactions, to share the fact that in a dream context, a snake often represents a need for healing or a person or concept that you consider to be untrustworthy or toxic or poisonous, quote unquote, that you may need to cut out of your life and no. your subconscious hey, mind Matthew, is telling you things. Check your email. Thanks. To this episode. Also, did you see the cut on my finger? Or you can drop us a snake, I mean, email to a podcast at Majorspoilers.com and you might hear your words <laughs> on an upcoming episode. <laughs> and don't forget, uh, although snakes are traditionally seen as duplicitous, uh, in many cultures are actually sources of healing and wise uh, creatures. And you can support this show and all of our snake talk by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We will be back next week when I uh, might even have my youngest uh, son show up because he thinks he wants to be a herpetologist when he grows up. Ooh. We might talk about comics because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.